The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League. Atletico Man City. Topical outcome for City. Ambushed by Coke. Uh, but in the end, the result was just fine. We look back on Wednesday, a night Stones beat Cajones and the other midweek thrills. Real ending Chelsea's reign in Spain. The Bayern Emery loss that meant a night to remember for Villarreal and more. Plus, we look ahead to the weekend's FA Cup semi-finals and Premier League action. And a little bit further along to the arrival of Ten Hag. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday, 14th of April, listener. And lined up today, we've got whew, Duncan Alexander. All right, Duncan. Hi, James. Michael Cox. All right, Michael. Hi, James. And also Dom Fifield. Hi, James. Hey, how are you doing? You okay? I'm well. We've renounced our non-Dom status, eh? It's quite the fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Better a, than the domestic adverts I used to get confronted with. Is that right? <laughs> Is that right? Kids can be so... So cruel! What a what a what a midweek we've had though, extraordinary. The, the holders are out, Michael. You know what what that's like, of course. Uh, <laughs> into totally, yeah. but <laughs> also Atleti, Benfica, and and, and Bayern too. Uh, extraordinary! A midweek that had everything: uh, great goals, uh, huge upsets, and best of all, scenes that no one wants to see. <laughs> yeah, it was, I really didn't enjoy that at all. Seeing that, so yeah. I only watched that four Slash. times. Yeah, five for me. So. <laughs> I was so keen for extra time to happen, you know, with all due mm. respect to City and their ambitions, but it would have been extraordinary. I mean, it was pretty electric, that final 20 minutes anyway. Um, the match, I mean, there's a lot to be said about it, but do, do you want to break down the, the those final tumultuous scenes? Well, I mean... In a way, it started in the first half when Foden was absolutely clattered by Felipe um, from behind, smashed his head at the back, and then he bashed his face on the on the turf, cut his head, had to be bandaged up. But the ref didn't book Felipe, and I think in football that's generally like right. We know what sort of game this is going to be, you know, flag. Um, and then from there, I mean, as the second half went on, Atleti pushed forward more. I mean, if you look at the number of shots, uh, Atleti had one in the first half and 13 after half-time, whereas City had eight before half-time and two after half-time. So it was mm. a gradual build-up of pressure, but, yeah, it just slowly got more and more out of control. And then, obviously, the uh, the flashpoint was was when um, Foden was sort of chasing down the left flank, a little bit like in the... Cameroon Argentina game from 1990 when uh, Kanija was sort of targeted by a sort of a human missile system and eventually got got hit, um, and then and that happened. Um, Felipe kind of caught him, but I think Foden might have exaggerated just a little bit, and also by doing so rolled on the pitch, which enraged Savage, who who saw it as correctly saw it as time wasting. Um, but then him trying to haul Foden back off the pitch led to what we call in the game a 48-man brawl. So, um, mm. yeah, all the fun of the fair. Yeah, there was a, a lot a lot in there. There was Savage pulling Grealish's hair after Grealish had used the C word on him. There was Re- Reynaldo shoving Sterling away with a, with a hand to the throat. I think somebody also headbutted Raheem Sterling. Savage Everybody got involved. Yeah, Savage, Savage was it. Mm. Yeah, he had a... Then there was the tunnel, which I've yeah. watched several times, but uh, good luck with that. Is there a spit in there in the tunnel? Is there? Just to complete the... Uh... 
Mm. Tick tick all the boxes. There's a yeah. air headbutt as well. There he yeah. is. I mean, I, Fo- I think Foden was clearly targeted, but he did a quite a good job in, you know, he reacted in the way that perhaps I think City fans would have wanted it, in that he spent most of the game trying to wind them back up and laughing at them. And, and it was quite, I guess, you know... I, I have no issue with the way Atleti play football at all, and I th- but I think it's quite funny to see them get so outraged at the end by mm. City kind of doing back to them what they they do to other teams. So also because when know, all of that happened, with what three three or four minutes still left in the ninety, and then a, a portion of, of of time that would have been added on, Atletico were all over uh, mm. Man City. Uh, asked the the Madrid newspaper uh, making the point actually that Felipe ruined that this is. I think it's Alfredo Rolano. Uh, Felipe ruined things with a stupid piece of bravado. The stoppage was disastrous for Atletico, who were now nervous while City found their escape route, cynically employing all the old tricks to stop the game being played. Not a hint of the football of violins played by angels associated with Guardiola, say ass. I, it's true, this time around, Michael, that the, in this nil-nil, it was City with no shots on target in the 90. How close were Atletico to, to at least making extra time? Yeah, they had a couple of good chances. In particular, there was one shot that John Stones blocked. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I agree with uh, with what the what you've just read out. I kind of understand why Atleti play like they do, especially against sides as technically good as City. But in the last five ten minutes, you know, regardless of what you think about this kind of football morally, it was just a silly thing to do. They had the momentum, they had City under pressure, and they just broke up the game. And it's almost like they. Uh, they just can't stop playing that way at times where really they just need, you know, the ball in play as much as possible and, and to put City under pressure. So, yeah, it was it was a bit of a silly ending from their perspective because they, they had a chance there. You do wonder whether they're now on, they haven't won in their last eight home games in the Champions League. And you do wonder in a kind of post-Covid sort of world whether... You know the fans being back and the kind of the the fervent atmosphere has it's kind of gone like Michael was saying a little bit too far. They kind of they're believing in the in the twelfth man sort of cynicism a little bit too much, and they should just you know play a bit of football. Mm. Well, City do go through to the semi final, where they'll be taking on Real Madrid. Although for this weekend at least, they'll certainly be without Kevin De Bruyne. And Kyle Walker, it looks like, after both of those picked up injuries in the game, we are in big trouble, says Pep Guardiola. How big? They, they feel stretched now, don't they? They they they, they feel their squad feels slightly stretched, which is unusual for for City and for one of the elite clubs. But we, we may be entering into that sort of the ramifications of having a fixture pile up and being involved in all these competitions. And when you play someone like Atleti and you walk away, where you hobble away with with serious potential injuries to, to two key players um, in De Bruyne and Kyle Walker, then, yeah, the, that will affect what happens next. Um, and Liverpool Liverpool were able to rest people for midweek so that they'll be presumably a lot fresher this weekend and presumably going to the FA Cup semi-final as, as favourites now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Liverpool resting lots of players for their game with Benfica, which came close to producing a bit of a shock, but we'll, we'll get on to that game later. Next up, let's discuss uh, Tuesday night's action in Madrid. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Here's Vinicius, Benzema and Rodrigo in the middle. There's the chance, oh, he was bound to score! He had to score! And when they needed him most, Karim Benzema does score! 
Four. Real Madrid two, Chelsea three. Tuesday night at the Bernabeu. But of course, Real Madrid five, Chelsea four on aggregate. What a game. How did you feel about this one? I thought Chelsea were the better side by far and deservedly with 3-0 up. And I couldn't really see Real getting back into it. It was really just that incredible Modric pass that changed the course of the game and gave them a chance. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought Chelsea played really well this game. I mean, I don't really understand how Real Madrid are in the semi-finals of this competition. They just look so disjointed and lacking cohesion. They've just had basically Benzema and Modric have have bailed them out. But this has been the story of Real Madrid over the last decade or so in the Champions League. I never expect them to progress. And they always have a couple of star individuals who just who just take them through. And um, yeah, for me, Chelsea were the, the much better side. Not Obviously, they played poorly in the first, first leg, but I still think over the course of the tie, they were the better side, actually. Got a bit unlucky with that Alonso disallowed goal as well, I thought. But yeah, I mean, a thrilling, a, a thrilling game. It did feel like Chelsea's night. They were looking for a miracle after losing the first leg 3-1. But Mason Mount with his first Champions League goal of the season early on. Then Rudiger with his first Champions League goal ever. And then when Kovacic puts Timo Werner through, what a moment of destiny. The one man you'd want in that position. Exactly, yeah. And he beats, what, four Real Madrid defenders? Sort of, with the odd lucky bounce. But extraordinary. Yeah, he cuts his back, he dummies to shoot. Yeah, and it felt, if Timo Werner scoring that goal, that was the moment everyone went, wow, this is written in the stars. But instead, Chelsea then draw together in a bit of a huddle, a bit of a this-does-not-slip moment, and, and then promptly throw it all over the place. You had Mendy kicking straight out for a, for a throw-in, and then you had, basically, they were just giving the ball back to Real Madrid and inviting the pressure, and, it, and it, almost immediately, Real Madrid got the goal back. It's almost like the intensity worked against them. They've been so, they've been so excellent and 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 nullified Real Madrid and, and completely dominated the tie. that has been camped in Real ter- territory throughout, and then N'Golo Conte gives the ball away. Conte, um, wonderful pass from Modric, obviously just just you know ridiculous pass and a great finish. But even then, you know, even at three one, Pulisic has those two chances. In stoppage time, I think I think Havertz has a header as well, which Courtois as well to yeah. to keep out. It was still there for Chelsea to take, and I mean I completely agree with Michael. I think other than the first forty six minutes of the tie, when Real were very much the dominant team, and Chelsea were very very sloppy and allowed their standards to really slip, um, Chelsea absolutely bossed it. And for all that they will be, they've just broken a club record with a. Was that a ninth successive away victory in all competitions? Eighth, Eighth is it? Sorry, um, and and they've won at the Bernabeu for the first time. They will look at that and think, "Well, actually, we're coming away with huge regret because it was a massive missed opportunity for them to progress into the semi-finals. It it, it really was. They 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 completely outclassed Rail for long periods, and in the end, it was sort of fatigue and and. Mistakes creeping in. The second goal in, in in extra time is is a is a mess. It's an absolute mess. It's the, the one time that they get in behind Reese James uh, down the, the right. They, they they're slow to react. Loftus Cheek is slow to react. Kante is slow to react. Rudiger then slips in the middle and Benzema heads it in. And and it's you know, but but even then they've still got Jorginho you know missing a chance in stoppage time at the end and Havertz his header. So. It's just one of those. Um, I think Tuchel inside will be really, really frustrated. They had 28 shots at the Bernabeu, Staggering, which is isn't it? 
Absolutely. Oh, no, there's extra time, but even so. I thought that extra time period was quite interesting because it's the first extra time period we've seen since the away goals rule was scrapped. And it does hand the home side a big advantage. Previously, the away goal acted as a bit of a compensation for the fact that you were playing half an hour extra away from home. Now you don't have that. So really, being at home in the second leg is quite beneficial, really, because that, that home advantage is is increased. So the away goals rule should stay, but only for eventual extra time periods in the second leg? Well, I think there is, weirdly, a case for doing it like that. Yeah, statistically, of games that went into extra time and were decided in extra time, i.e. not on penalties, 55% of the time the home side would go through, so you were still better off being the home side, and 45% of the time the the away team would win, of which about 15% of that was because of the away goals rule. Hmm. Duncan objects to something. I can tell he's sighing all over. The no, place. no, no. I'm agreeing. I th- well, that was the rule in the League Cup, wasn't it? I think it only went hmm. away goals and accounted off if it went to extra time right, uh, at some it, point. It was. I, I would be proposing that only away goals in extra time should count, if that makes sense. Right, okay. Whereas well, in the League yeah. Cup, it came in taking count yeah, yeah. of the whole time. Well, yeah. I mean, that sounds sensible. So I'm sure UEFA will take that on board and probably implement that <laughs> soon with any changes they're thinking of for the Champions League. I'm going to take a slightly contrarian view, uh, Dom, on, on Chelsea and regrets because I, I kind of feel like they, they did everything they could hope to do in this game. And yes, they, they missed chances, but they must have been exhausted by that point. And there are different ways to win a game and, and having superstar players, Real Madrid aren't the only way to, uh, only seem to, to get through it this this way they they hung on and when their moment came they absolutely still had the, the the will and the spirit and the talent to take those to create those chances and then and then take them the Modric as you were saying the extraordinary extraordinary Amazing. moment a lot of Luka Modric love in the days that have followed Duncan offering the fact that he's 92 days older than Charlie Adam which I did not see coming <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chapit Brook uh, saying, well, everyone's always assumed Xavi was the greatest midfielder of his generation, but it's Modric, isn't it? Longer career at top level, more consistent, drag worse teams to bigger things. Maybe a bit more range to his game too, question mark. What do you think? Your Hall of Fame, what, who would it have in it in, out of those two? I demand you choose. I, I mean, I, I'd have Xavi. I just think his, his peak, he, he dominated literally every game he played in for about four years at club and international level. But I take his point about Modric in terms of the longevity. I mean, Modric has been doing it for a long time now. I remember when England didn't qualify for Euro 2008 against Croatia, Modric was, was the star player in those games. And that feels, well, it is absolutely ages ago. It's mm. best part of... 15 14, years ago. 15, yeah. I mean, so yeah, in terms of the longevity, he, he has been doing it for a long time. And it's worth remembering as well that when he first went to Real Madrid, his first season he really struggled. That It was Mourinho's last season and he struggled to find a place in the side. And I think he was voted worst signing of the season or something by Marker or one of them. And I mean, him, the partnership of him and Crows and Casemiro has just been together for so long. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a brilliant player. That pass was... I mean, it was just the vision to spot that. I think sometimes a player's in a situation where they can see a pass quite obviously and just the easiest thing to do is play it with the outside of the foot. But to actually factor that pass into your thinking was just remarkable. It was it was brilliant. Yeah, the best pass I've seen for a long time. But it was the power he got on it as well. It, was, it wasn't just a kind of, 
you know, a kind of drifted past. It was like a, it was like he'd whipped it in with the inside of his foot. Yeah. It was, and to be to have that ankle strength that in your late thirties is uh, is rare, I would say. Can I also doff a little cap to the pass that Mares produced in the City game oh, last yeah. night, which was just unbelievable as well. The 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 weight of it and the and again the vision. I can't remember who was it was it Foden who he sent away. It was absolutely stunning pass, absolutely beautiful. Mm. Quick shout as well for Rodrigo for finishing Modric's pass so nicely, without which it would be one of those great almost moments. Was that Rodrigo's first touch of the game? He'd only just come on. Quite a remarkable start and so very, very decisive in this game, taking it to extra time where Benzema finished it off. Uh, he, he scored four of Real's five goals across two legs. Remarkable. Karim Benzema, 38 goals in 38 games this season. Uh, well done, Real Madrid. Dom, you face Chelsea next. Is this a good time to be playing them? Not you, but Crystal Palace. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, obviously, that, that it would have taken quite a lot out of them, physically and mentally, in Madrid. Um, that they, they were deflated at the end. You could you could just see, sense the, the disappointment in their post match interviews, and even the reaction at the final whistle. Where half of them just were, were prone on the turf, lying looking up at the sky in disbelief at what happened. But I think having an extra day back at Cobham to prepare and to regain some focus and realise that this is their chance of, of of their only remaining chance of silverware this season. OK, they've, they've won two trophies already, but this is the, the way to sort of cap off of what has turned into quite a difficult season with with events off the pitch. So I suspect that come, come Sunday, Tuchel will have them all very much fired up and geared towards getting a result against, uh, against Palace at Wembley. And what do you think about Real Madrid against Man City in two weeks' time? I think Manchester City would be strong favourites for that one, to be honest. I just don't think... I don't think Real Madrid have got that much about them. I mean, ben, Benzema can win games on his own, we know that, but if you keep him quiet, I, I, yeah. I just think Liverpool and City are the best two teams in Europe by quite a long way this season. They're obviously going for the title, they're playing each other in the FA Cup semi-final, and I'd be surprised if it wasn't the Champions League final as well. All right. Certain Villarreal might have something to say about that, Michael. We'll be talking about the incredible Yellow Submarine and their exploits in Munich next. Ice baths for recovery, rest and plenty of protein will be the plan for these trophy-chasing robot sisters. As European commitments change back to domestic ones, this weekend a city like horns with Liverpool at Wembley for a place in the cup final this Saturday. Last Sunday we were treated for the second time of the season, a 2-2 draw full of quality and end-to-end action. A real treat for the neutral, and with the possibility of these two meeting in the European Cup final in May, this rivalry may well be set to produce even more fireworks between now and the end of the season. There's no getting away from the fact that City are the favourites for this weekend's FA Cup semi-final. Pep's men are priced at 23 to 20. The draw is 5 to 2, and the Liverpool win is 2 to 1. Squad rotation is key to negotiating these relentless weeks at the business end, and both sides boast quality in reserve, in particularly Liverpool who with signings such as Kanate, Jota and Luis Diaz recently really have added significant depth to the Merseysiders. Mo Salah has won in his last eight games, that's odd, and the big contract saga looms over Anfield still, like a grey cloud about to burst. But the Egyptian loves the big stage, and would only love to score on the Wembley turf to make it all about him. In doing so, he'd bolster his hand at the negotiating table. He's 13-8, to 8, he'll score any time. The money man at Liverpool may well be about 
and have their bluff called. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org and remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Tuesday night in Munich, they said it couldn't happen. They were wrong. Villarreal with a 1-1 draw away at Bayern to book their place in the semi-final. Alvaro Romeo joins us now. Alvaro, they've won cups, but is this the greatest night they've ever had in their history? Well, it is one of the best, but I think that maybe winning the Europa League is even bigger because Mm. at the end of the day that was their first ever title. But of course, uh, what they did against Bayern the other day, it's uh, one of the biggest achievements in Villarreal's history, altogether with uh, reaching the Champions League semi-final in 2006 and of course winning the Europa League uh, last year. Okay, it was a shock, but maybe we shouldn't be shocked. They're unbeaten now in 13 matches in the Champions League and Europa League knockout stages under Unai Emery. They did this to, well, Atalanta, they did this to... Juve are now buying too. What most impressed you about their performance? I think that one of the most impressive things is that Bayern didn't have so many chances. I can recall a few. For example, Müller had a really clear header in the second half. Um, Lewandowski scored the goal after uh, Villarreal made a mistake, Parejo in particular. But generally speaking, you know, when you travel to the Allianz Arena, you know that you are going to face a storm and it is very likely that you are going to get hammered or the opponent is going to score many goals. Uh, let's see, or we, we saw what happened to Salzburg. But Villarreal managed to contain all that and to stop that storm. And I think that their display was very professional. Uh, I would say that it wasn't that speculative uh, because at the end of the day, they knew what they were doing defensively. It wasn't just about uh, piling up uh, defenders in the box. They knew what they were doing in the box. And I would say that it was a very, very good performance by Villarreal. And uh, what puzzles me more about this team is that then in the league, uh, they are capable of uh, attacking much more. But they've got this um, second identity away from home in the knockout ties and they slow down the game, they defend very good. So it's like Unai Emery has convinced them to have two game plans and it's working very well so far. Were they fired up as well by Bayern's reaction to drawing them in the quarterfinals? Uh, <laughs> of course, I know that uh, Bayern were happy with being... Uh, drawn with Villarreal. Uh, I think that uh, maybe they expected an easy win and they didn't and hence the reactions of Nagelsmann and Oliver Kahn on television. I think that Villarreal didn't like that. I think that Unai Emery uh, had enough. Uh, in fact, after the, the game, he said that he doesn't want uh, to be called the village team. He doesn't want uh, the Asterix and Obelix narrative anymore. He doesn't mm-hmm. like it. Uh, he, he runs a very competent football team and he doesn't want to hear about that anymore. Okay. They put out a a picture of somebody in Villarreal kind of sitting on a tractor saying, welcome to Farmers League after going through. I'm not entirely sure I I get what they mean, but it it was funny anyway. Uh, Dom, who's been multiple times to the Ceramica, uh, was just trying to put 
into perspective <laughs> for us how how massive an achievement this is for a, a club the size, the pedigree of Villarreal to have put Bayern out. Uh, the word Stoke was mentioned by comparison. Uh, can you do a, a, any kind of job in bringing some context, Alvaro? Yeah, uh, this is a region of Spain uh, that relies a lot on the business of ceramics. Then the owner of Villarreal has a percentage uh, in one of the most Spanish, uh, the most successful Spanish businesses, which is a supermarket called Mercadona. And this is a team that, uh, let's don't forget, they also have a great academy. Some of their best players come from the academy. Villarreal is capturing talent here and there. They know how to scout. Uh, Samu Chukwese, Jeremy Pino, for example, are two great examples of that. So this is not just a one-off football team that has been lucky or they've been signing superstars. No, no. These people, they produce their own talent. The planification is excellent. Gerard Moreno is already... His contract has been extended until 2027. Same thing applies to Jeremy Pino. And yes, this is a region of Spain in which maybe uh, crisis hit very badly uh, because uh, Spain relied a lot before 2008 on uh, construction and uh, this area of Spain obviously was doing a lot of that but the town itself, Villarreal has their own economy as well, the ceramics as I said before, then they produce this uh, plant that I don't know how to translate now but it does uses as well and they do a lot of that in there so yeah, uh, I wouldn't say it's a prosperous area but they managed to navigate the crisis very well when in 2008 uh, pretty much the whole Valencia area uh, got uh, got uh, shattered by by the financial crunch. Mm. Does sound like Stoke. And of course in with all those uh, in in with all those uh, academy uh, prospects you've got a number of uh, former Premier League where are they now as uh, uh, and, and there they are in the semi-finals. Uh, could they could they Alvaro against Liverpool? It's going to be the ultimate challenge for them. Mm, I think that uh, so far they managed to to do it against Juventus and against Bayern, and I never expected them to do it. Uh, I thought that Juve was uh, way too much for them. I thought that Bayern was definitely way too much for them, and they managed to slow them, slow them down. This is the, the key for Villarreal. But it's going to be very difficult against Liverpool. They are going to... Um, they will have to master all the details. Albiol and Pau Torres, they will have to stay very safe, uh, keep on clearing the ball very well. Dani Parejo, a key player for Villarreal, will have to play with the same calm that he plays normally, but against a team like Liverpool that likes rock and roll as well. And then up front, they will have to be very clinical because I don't think that they will have many chances, but they have been clinical against mm -hmm. Bayern. So why not to think that they can do it again? And of course, and let's not forget as well that Unai Emery won uh, Jurgen Klopp in a final already. It was a totally different context, uh, Europa League final in 2016. He has done it. Why not to think that he can do it again? Yeah, indeed. Two shots on target across the two legs. Two goals. Remarkable stuff. Alvaro, thank you so much. Look forward to speaking to you again on Tuesday. Thank you, James. Bye-bye. To give some kind of context, Villarreal's population is 50,000, which is roughly the same as Clacton-on-Sea, <laughs> whose who's football team playing the Essex Senior League, which is the ninth division of English football. Right. Oh, First yeah. time I went there, it all felt so temporary. You know, you occasionally get a... <laughs> A league will throw up a, a, a team that suddenly rises up through the echelons and, and and stays there for a bit, has a little flurry of success, and then it sort of catches up on them and, and they, they descend from whence they came. And I, I'm pretty, I mean, I remember going to... Russian a, and Diamonds. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, God, I went there once. Um, but, I mean, that, there was a Champions League qualifier against Everton 
and I think they had full land playing for them back. It would have been 2005 mm. um, after Moyes' um, successful season when he finished fourth. And I've seen Celtic there as well, and they 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 apps. I mean, it's amazing. You can sort of it can be an hour before kickoff in Villarreal, and and it's a sleepy sleepy town. The, the, the squares around the stadium, there's hardly anyone there. There's, the shops aren't open. It's very very sleepy, and then suddenly from from nowhere, these yellow shirted fans descend upon this stadium, and it's the most raucous place going for the ninety minutes, and then they all just disappear again. It's just really odd. But but brilliant, and the, the, you know the way that they sustained it over this period of time is quite something. It is. Bayern, as Alvaro was mentioning, uh, really limited by them. Only four shots on target in a game in which they were expected to absolutely well pepper uh, the Villarreal goal uh, with shots from uh, Lewandowski, Neuer, Müller, et al. Of course, this was a Bayern team that had won all six of its group games. Has been scoring record numbers of goals in. The Bundesliga as well, so truly extraordinary and, and, and potentially big problems ahead for Julian Nagelsmann uh, as the fallout continues. Because uh, Villarreal, they're only in this competition because of David de Gea's missed penalty in the uh, in the game with Man United. They, they'd be playing in the Conference League otherwise. <laughs> game of fine margins. Anyway, Liverpool, who they'll be facing next, had that three-three draw with Benfica, six-four on aggregate. Some uh, some interesting moments in this one. It was uh, a a reserve team, I think, mostly f- that Jurgen Klopp put out with an eye on Man City, uh, the, the uh, semi final with Man City at the weekend. Yeah, I never thought we'd get to the point where Jurgen Klopp was resting players in the Champions League for an FA Cup tie, but this is this is where we are, um, and it nearly it sort of backfired but didn't really the mar you know the, the score the way the scoring went didn't really ever really threaten liverpool but it their defending was not dissimilar to last season when van dijk was was out injured for a long time right and, uh, he was one of the players left out of the 11 there was one moment i think at 3-3 when uh, darwin nunes had just scored and then almost scored again with a brilliant shot which somehow alisson dived to to save Anyway, Liverpool through that, and in two weeks' time, they will take on Villarreal. I didn't fancy Villarreal, as I say, against Atalanta. I certainly didn't fancy them against uh, Juve or Bayern. So, naturally, I'll be writing their chances off against Liverpool because I I will not learn. I will not learn. (laughs) Who will join me? (laughs) If you think back, obviously, Dom mentioned a minute ago that the 05-06 season when they beat Everton in the qualifiers... They obviously got to the semi-finals that year, lost to Arsenal. That was 1-0 to Arsenal in the first leg with Colo um, Toure scoring and then 0-0 in the second leg. And I think it wouldn't be surprised to see... They're going to try and restrict Liverpool, aren't they? So it could be a similarly low-scoring pair of games this time. But if, if Liverpool play to their their uh, potential, then obviously they should score at will. But yeah, mm. it's, um, it's intriguing, as they it say. It certainly is. Fascinating. Yes. Next up, let's move on to the weekend. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line and we're talking to Man United fan Carl. Yeah, I'm worried about the trip to Liverpool. It's the game I'd be worried about, Carl, not the trip. Yeah, at least the M62 won't be one-way traffic. It's not always rewarding being a Man United fan, but if you want rewards, you can get a free bet if one leg of your bet builder on Liverpool v Man United lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bet builder bets only. Min two plus legs. Max one free £5 bet per customer. 
Must have previously deposited to avail. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's good news for Watford fans as they get ready to appoint their fourth manager of the season. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Listener, it's 14th of April today, for us anyway. On this day in 1999, it was the last ever... FA Cup semi-final replay. Hmm. One of the best ever as well. It was uh, Man United taking on Arsenal. This was at Villa Park. Two title rivals, much like the Liverpool-Man City game this weekend. Peter Schmeichel's last-minute penalty save from Dennis Bergkamp took the game to extra time. And then Ryan Giggs. A rather weary one from Vieira. Giggs gets past Vieira, past Dixon. Who comes back at him. It's a wonderful run from Giggs! Ryan Giggs has been cancelled now, though, hasn't he? We're not allowed to celebrate mm. Ryan Giggs. Vieira's right. come out of that misplaced pass better in the long run, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> the victory spurred United on to pip the Gunners to the Premier League title and then win the Champions League. Ooh. Could City's clash with Liverpool on Saturday have a similar effect? Question mark. Man City-Liverpool is 3.30 on Saturday on BBC One which is, I'm just struggling to deal with this news. The TV blackout has been lifted for this match, so they could just take it off whenever they wanted. Well, no, there's there's some slightly odd equation about how many of the top two division games are at Saturday 3pm and because the Football League games are oh, at, right. sorry, on the Friday yeah. and the Monday, that means this Saturday doesn't count as a day. Well, it still counts as a day. It doesn't, right. it doesn't, <laughs> it's Thursday, okay. Friday, Sunday, Monday. You can still do whatever you like on the Saturday, but it doesn't count as a designated league day. I see. Whatever you like, including watching Man City Liverpool 3.30 on BBC One. 4.30 on Sunday, it'll be Chelsea against Palace. And this weekend also sees the Women's FA Cup semi-finals. West Ham are at home to Man City lunchtime on Saturday. And lunchtime Sunday, it's holders Chelsea taking on their title rivals Arsenal. Ooh. Uh, we'll talk about City Liverpool in a bit. Dom, first of all, though, Chelsea Crystal Palace. We've talked a lot about Chelsea. What about Palace? Well, look, it's it's 
brilliant reward for what Vieira's done at Palace this season. I know you can sort of, at first glance, you look at Palace as a mid-table, in mid-table position now and think that's where they always finish up. But, but actually, it's given the level of upheaval, voluntary upheaval, but a lot of disruption last summer with the management team leaving and 10 players leaving and bringing in younger players who aren't experienced at this level. It's, it's, I think it's a remarkable achievement to be so clear of trouble and for the team to be playing such progressive football under Vieira and his, his coaching staff. So I think he's done brilliantly well. And the Palace fans, I mean, Palace hadn't even scored a goal in the FA Cup in the 2020s prior to this season. So for them Seriously? to be in the semi-final, yeah, I mean, honestly, their cut record in recent years, and League Cup as well for a long time, it's been absolutely appalling. I think I think the, the first goal that Palace scored at Millwall, the, the equaliser, was the first cup goal they'd scored since Michy Batshuayi scored in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup in... 2019 yeah so in all competitions um it's for them to be in this position is is it, you know palace fans are, are are pinching themselves to be back at wembley in in a in a domestic cup and it's look it'd be really difficult because you take conor gallagher out of that team you lose a lot of the energy you you lose a lot of the forward propulsion and um the box to box dynamism in 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 central midfield so they're going to have to play slightly differently, but I imagine that James MacArthur comes in at 34, 35 and does his best Gallagher impression. I, I, I think a lot of the the injury concerns that have been surrounding Palace aren't maybe quite as bad as, as first feared. So hopefully Tarek Mitchell plays and he adds another dimension down the left. Elise will, will play some part at some point, I'm sure. And I hope they give Chelsea a game. They did do at Sellhurst a couple of months back. And, you know, they have got mm. energy and invention. So hopefully they can exploit any physical, mental uh, hangovers for, for Chelsea for midweek. 1-0 mm. to Chelsea at Sohurst Park in February. Mm. It was 3-0 to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge prior to that. In fact, you've lost your last nine meetings. Nine. Yeah, nine. yeah, I'm aware of Never beat a team three times in the same season. It's one of the old rules of football. Although well, it does obviously happen. So. <laughs> I think the problem is that, that the, the three nil at, at, at Stamford Bridge on the opening mm. day that that really wasn't a Palace team. Um, it wasn't the Palace team that, Viet, that they put together. Even I think there was only one of their new signings who played that day. Um, mm. they, they just weren't ready for the season, given the amount of upheaval again in the summer. So, so that, you can almost discount that, unfortunately. So that it, that may mean that yeah, that rule doesn't apply. Damn it! Right, Patrick Vieira. Speaking of rules he doesn't lose in in the FA Cup as a player or a manager <laughs> 19 games now dating back to his his Arsenal time excellent all right well that game coming up on well, that's the Sunday isn't it so Saturday afternoon meantime we get the extraordinary spectacle of Man City and Liverpool going at it again last weekend Michael one of the games of the season you wrote a a typically brilliant piece on theathletic.com about last Sunday's match and how terrific it was and the high lines. Are you expecting a similar kind of affair this time? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think both both managers will be quite pleased with the way they played last weekend, despite the fact neither side won. Um, and yeah, I think stylistically probably be similar. I'm quite encouraged by Klopp resting players in the build-up to this. It's just quite nice to see that he's, he's taking it seriously. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Liverpool could win four trophies this season. They've already won one. They've got a really good chance in, in the other three, I think. 
you know, whoever wins this tie will be the favourite going into the final. And like I say, I think they'll face each other in the Champions League final. So, I mean, there's so much at stake in the last few weeks of the campaign. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game. I hope, they, I hope they've filled strong sides, both of them. I mean, they sometimes do this thing where they play the second string goalkeeper, which I must say quite annoys me. Mm. Um, I think it was in the semi-final last year, was it against Chelsea, where Guardiola played uh, Zach Steffen instead of Edison. And I thought positionally he was quite all over the place for one of the goals. So I, I hope they played the strong sides because, yeah, if we get a repeat of last Sunday's game, great. I mean, sometimes sometimes you get frustrated when you keep on seeing the same teams playing each other again and again in different competitions. But I think at the moment I'd, I'd happily watch a, a series of these games. Mm. Last Sunday's big selection surprise, of course, was uh, Gabriel Jesus being in Man City's eleven. It would be a big weekend for him to be involved and in getting onto crosses. No? <laughs> Yeah, surgeon. <laughs> maybe maybe you'll need a leg down on Easter Saturday, though. I'm no expert, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting we mentioned the, the, the 99 semi-final earlier. It's only been three times in, in the Premier League era where the top two teams in the league have met in the, in the Cup semi-final, and one of them is 99. Mm. Um, the other one was Chelsea Spurs in, in 2016-17. So... It is a pretty rare thing to see, you know, the two best teams in the country, you know, slugging it out in an FA Cup semi-final. And it's, you know, uh, we know that the FA Cup is about the early rounds and the preliminary rounds and, you know, non-league teams. And, but it is also quite exciting to see, you know, as as Mark said, oh, the two best teams in Europe go, go head-to-head in this competition. Two of the best teams in Europe, absolutely. Dom, which one do you want to face after you beat Chelsea? <laughs> well... <laughs> I mean, Liverpool always beat Palace uh, and City never score against Palace, so let's go City. Right. Fernandinho, by the way, uh, you'll have seen, has announced he won't be signing a new contract at the end of the, of the season. He'll be heading back to Brazil. It'll How be... good was he when he came on against Atletico, by the mm. way? That run and in the and melee at the challenge. end. Yeah, well, you know, that's his, him and his uh, element. But the, the sprint back and, and uh, challenge he conjured to stop an Atletico um, counter-attack at one point in that cameo was, I think it was about eight minutes to go. It was absolutely brilliant and summed him up. I was reading, actually, that he's off the field as well, a key player, and not just for Man City. His house is apparently a, a hub for... Brazilian and Portuguese players in in the northwest. Uh, Liverpool, Liverpool's uh, Allison is a regular there. Fred out of that Man United goes round as well, so they'll mm. all miss him. It's going to be a major disruption to uh, some people. Uh, don't like that, do they? They don't like players from different teams fraternising. But I can't see the problem myself. All right. The report suggests the one that I read that the Man City midfielder is known by the Brazilians at Liverpool as. Our captain. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that is a bit much. I mean, that is a bit yeah. too far, isn't it? Come on. Yeah. Steady. Anyway, all right. Uh, well, there you go. It's the start of another huge week for Liverpool after this. They've got two Premier League games in the days that follow. Man United on Tuesday and then the derby with Everton on Sunday. So, yeah, as you say, they're in for four trophies, but uh, could be a could be a key week in, uh, what, one, two, three of them. Duncan, theanalyst.com has done a breakdown of the run-ins. What do you want to tell us about Liverpool's prospects after that 2-2 draw of actually overtaking City? Yeah, it's based on the the points per game uh, rate of uh, each team 
that each team has to face in the running. Um, and yeah, Liverpool are not that hard. They're kind of mid-table. Um, but City have got the second easiest run-in based on, on that. On 0. Their average points per game of their opponents is 0.97. The only team with an easier one are Palace at 0.87. So wow. expect Palace to celebrate getting to the cup final by winning all their remaining league games as well. Brilliant. So. All right. The, the injuries, though, that's, that's the thing that... that that needs to be factored into all of that. The injuries with the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Kyle Walker, and as uh, Don was saying earlier, City looking a little bit stretched. Do you uh, do you have any great thoughts about who's going to be the likely winner on on Saturday, or are you just happy to sit back and watch it all happen? I'll be well, I'll be watching in trance. I think I think those any any selections really in those two because there, there are there are psychological implications to to the result as well. Um, Given that they they could meet in the Champions League and the mm. and the Premier League run-ins, just on that on that slightly stretched field to City, I mean, I think an illustration of that is, is look at the Liverpool bench against Benfica. I mean, that that's probably a bench that was, you know, pick a team out of that, you've probably got a winner from the Champions for the Champions League out of that. The people on the the bench at Anfield. But that's because their bench was on the field, though. Well, yeah, but they they didn't lose, did they? On no, the that's field. true. Very true. Excellent. Well, that's the FA Cup. Next up, Premier League. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Listen, The Totally Football Show live is coming to Birmingham. It's the Glee Club. It's on the 10th of May. And who'll be there? Why? Myself, Duncan, and Michael. I think Julian Laurence is joining us as well. If you fancy a bit of that, head to glee.co.uk for tickets. After you've done with us here, you might like to listen to the Totally Football League show. We were talking earlier on about the Football League fixtures being shifted to Good Friday and a bit on Monday. Matt Davis-Adams will be all over that and uh, all the big stories from the Football League. Premier League is also returning to us Saturday lunchtime when Spurs host Brighton. There are six games this weekend. Spurs-Brighton is the first one. Can the Seagulls repeat last weekend's North London victory. Uh, then at three o'clock Saturday, Arsenal visit Saints. Will Saints repeat last weekend's visit from a London side, which didn't go too well for them, you'll recall. Man United face Norwich also at three o'clock on Saturday. And Watford get a visit from high-flying Brentford in the Pancrustacean Hexapod Invertebrates Derby. Sunday, Newcastle take on Leicester. And it's an all-claret affair as West Ham take on Burnley. Uh, Man United Norwich, Michael. Eric Ten Hag has agreed to become Manchester United manager, although it won't be official until after Ajax, his current side play, in the Dutch Cup final on Sunday against PSV. 
What does he know of our game? What does he know of the Premier League? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I'm sure he watches it quite a lot. But yeah, it's quite an exciting <laughs> appointment. I think it's a brave choice from Manchester United. I don't think it's a surefire success. I think if they wanted that, maybe Pochettino would be the better bet. But I think the the, the style of football that he got Ajax playing, particularly in that run to the Champions League final in 2019, was, I mean, as good as we've seen really in European football in the last five years or so. Um, and so it's a big step up to go from the Eredivisie to the Premier League. He doesn't have any experience of working in a major league. I think that is a, a question mark. But yeah, as a, as a neutral, I'm pretty excited by the football they potentially might play. Mm. How do you think it fits with with the squad they've got? It sounds like good news for Donny van der Beek at last. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd hope so. I mean, if, if this doesn't improve his fortunes, then I'm not sure who, who will. I mean, I think there's a few players who will probably be a little bit worried there, particularly in defence. I think there's, there's not many defenders who look particularly suited to the kind of football he'll want. But to be honest, it's quite difficult to judge, I think, the level of some of these players at the moment. I mean... There's certain players have been underperforming for two or three years, but they haven't had a, a top-class manager for two or three years. So there's, there's a few of them. I don't know whether, you know, the likes of McTominay and Wan-Bissaka, you look at them and think, well, they're not going to be playing Ajax-style football. But, I mean, if they get a coach who can, you know, improve them as individuals over the course of six months or a year, who knows? Um, I think the wingers probably be the ones who are most happy with it. I think Alanga, Sancho, Rashford seem like the kind of players who can play in the this kind of system. But yeah, there's there's clearly a lot of work to be done with the squad as well. Mm. And the big Cristiano Ronaldo question. Yeah, I mean, that is a question. I don't think he's the kind of player Ten Hag would want to bring in, but I'm not sure that Manchester United will be able to move him on. I'm not quite sure who would come in for him and pay his wages and that kind of thing. So, I mean, that's a classic example of the the difference of managing Ajax and difference of managing Manchester United. You're not going to have players like that, Ajax. And even if Ten Hag doesn't want him in his first eleven, you probably can't keep Ronaldo on the bench all season because he kicks up a fuss and the supporters get unhappy. And it's one of those political things that is, uh, you know, the man management side of the game that that is so crucial. I think sometimes is overlooked. It was the same case with Ranić, really. Mm. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how how that plays out. But uh, I don't know. Maybe Ronaldo won't want to be there because obviously, I mean, I can't imagine that Manchester United have fulfilled his personal ambitions in terms of what he wants to be doing this season. Possibly. Ten Hag's record has been extraordinary at Ajax. Two Dutch titles, two Dutch Cups in four and a half seasons. One league campaign they would have won, except it was declared null and void during the pandemic. They're about to uh, wrap up the title again. Uh, also, in surprising stats news, he's actually a year older than Pep Guardiola. Did you know that? There's often a, a little asterisk placed uh, around people coming out of Eredivisie, whether players or or managers. But, uh, wow, I, I think it's a really exciting appointment. And, uh, I mean, is the key thing, is he given the chance to to do what he wants to do there? Or is it going to be... And I guess that means influence the signings and, and the eventual departures as well. But uh, that's something we can, we can investigate further on down the line. But uh, I'm thinking positive. Michael's thinking positive. Duncan, Dom, yes. I still think it boils down to the structure around him. I mean, it really? has to be it has to be in place, and it has to be geared towards allowing him to get the best out of the team and the squad. And if the, if it's if the recruitment is is muddled still, and there there are fourteen directors of football at the club, or fourteen or none, um, then 
they they won't revive. But I mean, it isn't. It is exciting because it's new and it's fresh, and and you know we're all intrigued to see what happens next. But but too much of too much of the behind the, the scenes at United has been the same for too long. I hear you. All right. Well, this game anyway coming up this weekend with Michael's favourite Ralph Ranyak in charge. Taking on Norwich. Ooh, Dean Smith looking to win at Old Trafford for the second time this season. He had a win there with Villa back in September. What do you think, Michael? Would you rule out Norwich springing a surprise on Man United at Old Trafford? No, not with the way Manchester United are playing at the moment. And also Norwich did win last week. I didn't expect them to win last weekend against Burnley. So I wouldn't rule it out. I think To me, it seems like Manchester United players have just given up. It's probably a bit too harsh, but it's, it's just no. It doesn't seem to be any determination or team spirit. Not really sure whether they've got a chance of finishing the Champions League places. So maybe they're not playing for anything now. Um, mm. So who knows? That said, Norwich aren't playing for much either, I'm not, I don't think. But... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I'm not going to watch this game. There's loads of good games going on this weekend. I'm not going to watch. Yeah. I, I, I don't really it's, care about this game. Not I'm not being funny. It's crazy to think back to the 1990s when these two clubs could challenge for league titles. But time <laughs> moves on. Man United fans are planning an anti-Glazers protest for this game. By the way, the 1958 group will be marching to Old Trafford. <laughs> very. Very uh, inappropriate time to laugh, though, Michael. No, uh, well, no, no, because I know what you, I know what you're going to say. They're yeah. going to, they're just going to march. They're going to buy the tickets and they're going to march to the ground and be in the seats. I just, but they, <laughs> but they won't be taking their seats until 17 minutes past three. A minute for every year the Glazers have been in charge. So, okay, which game you mentioned? Lots of other good games being on. Which games will you be watching out of that Premier League? Well, I think I'm going to three. I mean, an Easter, Easter bank holiday game uh, weekend yes. is great for football. I'm going to three games. I don't think any of them are, none of them are Premier League games. Ah, what are you going to go and see? I'm I'm going to Luton against Nottingham Forest. Okay. Tomorrow, which is which should be a really good one. I'm going to Lewis against Kingstonian. Nice. On uh, Saturday. And then another Kingstonian game on Monday. Or may, consider the Arsenal-Chelsea game. Sorry, the women's game in the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. Then obviously you've got the two FA Cup semi-finals. I mean, there's just so much football going on. Going to Fulham. Oh, that's on Tuesday actually. But there's okay. so much football going on. So with all due respect to Manchester United, Norwich, I'm, <laughs> I'm just not right. going to do that. Okay. And I mean, yeah, th- this this the, the the protest thing goes back to a, a famous bugbear of uh, one of our panelists from a former podcast mm. who constantly was frustrated that. English supporters protest by just marching from the local pub to the ground. <laughs> and this is just another good example of it. I mean, this is pretty much as meaningless a game as you could wish to find for Manchester United. If you're going to do a protest, why not actually stay away? I, I, I do think in other leagues, particularly in Germany, mm. when they do protest, they protest properly and it tends yeah. to have an impact because you're hitting the owners where it hurts. Also, don't pick a game where the opposition are wearing green and yellow as well. Which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe do, and then it'll look like you've really convinced everyone. You, uh, Southampton Arsenal is on at the same time. They could stay home and watch that. Saints have drawn one and lost five of their last six in all competitions. Were beaten 6-0 last weekend. The Gunners, meanwhile, have had three defeats in four. Other games available. Well, earlier on on Saturday, there's Spurs against Brighton. 
Brighton, who beat Arsenal last time out, can they can they pull off the trick again in North London? What do you think? I'd say no. No? Spurs have got Spurs great looking, numbers at home, haven't they? Yeah, they're looking to win five Premier League games in a row for the first time since the Greg's vegan sausage roll was released. So it shows how they've bounced back under Antonio Conte. Mm. Um, they're on a roll, you might say, like the sausage. Yeah, they've scored at least twice. Well, <laughs> exactly, yeah. They're looking pretty tasty, etc. and so on. Lovely, but yeah, yeah, I mean... <laughs> but yeah, they look really, they look really good, Spurs, and um, it's. I would say it's their, it's their fourth spot to lose now, really. Right. Okay. They were two 0 winners over Brighton at the Amex just a month ago, and uh, there you go. All right. Well, I I'm contractually obliged to mention the other Premier League games. Perhaps your team's involved in them, listener. West Ham against Burnley. West Ham were in action Thursday night in Leon. Producer Charlie pointing out that it's only just over four years ago that West Ham lost 3-0 at home to Burnley with those uh, angry scenes at the London Stadium. Do you remember uh, uh, Hammers fans evading the pitch, Mark Noble meeting out rough justice with his own hands, and then the, the, the supporters amassing in front of David Gold and David Sullivan's box and them doing one and all that? I mean... Yeah. In fairness, he had a fan invading the pitch last week, so that's it's not, true. Uh, that's not true. Too distant a memory, but in very different uh, circumstances. Yeah, he he was making a quite a good off the ball run actually going. <laughs> the defense, <wasn't> <laughs> Nobody ever managed to identify him as, as to whether he was a West Ham fan or, or not, though, because it it came at a a time when West Ham were pressing from what might have proved the winner in in what was a a one one draw with Leon. To be fair, he probably. At that stadium, he probably started his run from his seat about two minutes beforehand, so he couldn't really have known what was happening on the pitch. Yeah, that's a very good point. Burnley, who, I remind you, are at West Ham on Sunday. They've lost five of their last six Premier League matches and have failed to score in any of those defeats, which is not great. They are four points behind Everton in the race to survive. Watford, when you're talking about bad runs... They're in there as well. They're six points off safety and they're hosting Brentford this weekend. And while Brentford have won four of their last five in the Premier League, crikey, Watford this weekend could equal the Premier League record. Duncan, for what? Um, home defeats in a row. They're equally all, all-time top flight record for home defeats in a row it, with, within the same season, which was Birmingham City in 1985-86. Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. Remember, Watford obviously beat Manchester United, which was the game that got Solskjaer the sack. That's that's the last time they won a, or even avoided defeat at home in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, a fateful day. Nine defeats in a row, and Vicarage Road, Vicarage Road is exactly a hundred years old this this year. So, it's a shame, isn't Knock it? Knock it down. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Would you miss it? Um. Oh, I found out the other day that my great 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 uncle is buried in the in the church yard, which is the one that gives its name to Vicarage Road. So, is that right? Are you yeah, of Watford so. stock, Duncan? Oh well, I I didn't know I was, but hmm. you know, distantly maybe. So yeah, actually, keep it up, rebuild it better than before. Nice. Okay. Everton leads not playing uh, this weekend, so whilst last weekend's victory for Everton may have settled the relegation race, Watford and Burnley do have a chance to put a bit of pressure back on the Toffees by picking up victories here. 
And the other game this weekend, because there's only six, and there's a whole bunch of them midweek, but we'll get onto those in Monday's show, is Newcastle-Leicester, which, yeah, could be a good one or not. Leicester also involved in Thursday Night Action. This game just makes me think of Chris Wood, because he, when Leicester got promoted to the Premier League in 2014, they drew with Everton on the opening day. Chris Wood scored the equaliser for Leicester, his only Premier League goal for Leicester. So um, they've both been on journeys since then. And uh, now they meet again. Mm. We've been on a journey, haven't we, listener? Sounds like we might <laughs> might be reaching the end of the gas in our tank, though. <laughs> so how about we say that we'll be back with a reaction to all of that come Monday morning, plus a look ahead to those midweek games. And I think I'm right in saying the other semi-final in the intertotally, which is, checks notes, Julien Laurence against Charlie Eccleshare. Crikey. Which one of those two is the Villarreal of this, of this competition, would you say? Julien. Is it Julien? Right. He'll be heartened by that comparison. Owns a lot of ceramics. <laughs> Indeed so. Indeed so. All right. Well, tune in for that, or, you know, to use an antiquated and in no way relevant expression, but you know what I mean. Have a great weekend as well. Happy Easter uh, to Dom and Duncan and Michael and producer Charlie and you listener. And uh, we'll catch up with you some point on Easter Monday. So do hope you'll be joining us then from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.